Father, that is our prayer this morning, is that you, our King, that you would be pleased and honored with, with our lives, with our worship, with our delight in you. We ask you, God, to do just what we've sung. We've asked that you might breathe a fresh wind into this temple. And the Bible seems to describe both our physical bodies and the church body as the temple of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for each that you would come into our individual lives in a fresh way today as we meet in a different space and we think about refreshing our physical sanctuary. God, let us not neglect the invitation and the seeking out eagerly that you would come and refresh the inside of our lives, that you would wash us clean, you would renew your spirit within us individually and as a church body corporately that together you might blow out the dust within us that we could be fully functioning healthily as your body right here in Tiburon, California, one of your many outposts around the globe. But God, well, you haven't established this church just for us. You've established it also for those around us that they might know what it is to be in a relationship with you that is real, that is living, that is active, that they know what it is to be forgiven and set right and moving forward with a hope that is deeply rooted and lived out. Breathe a fresh wind among us, we pray. Heal us, we pray. Stir us, we ask you, so that we can faithfully be your people, faithfully responding in everything that you've asked of us. We were reminded in deacons yesterday not to grow weary in doing good. We need your strength. Continue to work among us and through us into the lives of others, we ask now. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. If you uh, had a look at my calendar, you would learn pretty quickly that I enjoy coffee. And at least once a week, I'll find myself just across the street at the Pete's Coffee in the Cove Shopping Center. And uh, that Pete's location years ago used to be a Blockbuster video. <laughs> Anybody remember the Blockbuster video that used to be there? Okay. I want to talk for a minute to our students, our youth, and our children. How many of you have ever watched a movie from your TV, from your phone, from your tablet? No? Okay. Uh, how many of you have streamed and downloaded directly without a disc, without a tape, without anything else? How many of you young lives, how many of you know that there used to be such things as VHS tapes? You actually had a physical tape that would spin through a player and uh, you would go and you'd rent these from a store. Can you believe that? You'd actually have to go to a store, just like you went a library, and you'd check them out and take them home. And before you return them, you know what we were told to do? We're always told to be kind and rewind. be kind and rewind. That's right. Now, I, you know, I'm not huge into technology, but I love digital things, and I love things that are easy, and I love not having to go to a store to get a, a rent a VHS tape so that I can watch what I want. To watch. Did you know Blockbuster Video years ago had the opportunity? Have you ever heard of? Blo I mean, have you heard about Blockbuster recently? When is the last time you ever thought about Blockbuster Video? Has it been months, years? 
You know why? One of the reasons is because they had an opportunity to purchase Netflix back when Netflix was just getting off the ground for $50 million. That's a lot of money, but compared to its current value was peanuts. And you know what? They stood, for whatever reason, I don't know all the reasons, but they stood as a company and they stood complacent in where they were as a company and decided that they would be safe and comfortable and okay staying just as they were and not moving forward into a venture like that. That's why you haven't heard or thought about Blockbuster Video in a long, long time. There's another company back in the 90s. Their CEO said that they were 90 days away from bankruptcy. 90 days, three months. The business would close its doors, they would shutter up the windows, they would liquidate all of their products, and they would be no more. And then in about 2001, they, I mean, they, were, they got some infused capital, and in 2001, they introduced a product called the iPod. And then in 2008, they introduced what we know now as the iPhone. And at that point, it was worth about $70 billion, a lot of money. You know what it's valued at now? A trillion dollars. I tried to write one trillion on my computer, and the zero got tired of all the times I was tapping it. So I had to write it out with alphabetical letters. It's crazy. Do you know what Apple chose not to do at that point in their, their life cycle? They chose not to be complacent. They chose to move forward. They did some other things, some innovative things, and move forward. Because complacency can be a great killer of organizations, of businesses, and even churches. When churches stand static, they tend to decrease and diminish. They tend to miss out on the things that God wants to do in them and through them. Complacency is not the goal of a church fellowship. Being convicted of the things of God is the goal. Being convinced of the gospel of Christ and living in that gospel and taking that message out to the world is what is essential and central to God's desire. You uh, probably received, I hope you did, an email this past week about three mission trips we want to take this fall. One to Poland, one to North Africa, and one to uh, Belgium. And I want to show you the, the faces. This is Cal and Aaron. They are living in Poland now for about a year. And um, we're going to hopefully send about three people over to visit Cal and Aaron in October. This fine picture here, it used to be a picture. Uh, this is Doug and Lita. They work in a place in North Africa that's uh, uh, very sensitive, and so they've asked us to remove their picture. But I want you to know, when you look at this frame, this is a reminder of Doug and Lita. Some of you, many of you, either met or saw them again recently when they were here visiting for a week. That's Doug and Lita. And over here is Tanner and Audrey Smurl and their two kids, and they live and work in Brussels, Belgium, among North African immigrants. And they're meeting physical needs, and they're building relationships and uh, trying to communicate this great gospel. This idea that, that God loves people so much. And what's the big deal about love? It's because we need the love of God. And why do we need the love of God? It's because without the love of God, we are separated from God. That's the very clear message of the Bible. And without the gospel and understanding what God has done in Christ, we remain separated from God. But God, out of His great mercy, has come to us so that we could come to Him. And He offers His forgiveness. He offers His life. And that is a message that we have been entrusted with communicating. The gospel 
message that you were loved by God. I realized I haven't said it in a while, and I want to say it again. You were loved by God. Did you know that? In the back, did you know you're loved by God? Back over here, do you know you're loved? Can I get an amen? amen. Hey, this is kind of like an old-style tent revival <laughs> setting, okay? So I'm kind of getting fired up, so you better watch out. After sending this email, just kind of reminding people to be praying about the mission trips, I went back and in our email server, uh, Constant Contact, I realized the little note that I wrote on there just to identify it within our internal server, it didn't say mission trip, M-I-S-S-I-O-N. I had typed it out, missing trips, M-I-S-S-I-N. And I got to thinking, at first I laughed and then I got a little sad. Because I got to thinking, you know, there's something missing in our church life. And it's a real renewed sense of engaging in global missions. Because that is at the very heartbeat of God. That his great message of hope and rescue and love would go to every ear and be offered to every heart and be given to every life. That's what the early church, it pulsated with that life. It reverberated with that constant goal was to take the gospel out. When we open up in the book of Acts, you're welcome to do that. Acts chapter 16, please open your Bibles. Acts chapter 16, we, we see a church that was convicted with the idea that their goal was to worship God and to invite other people into that worship and they were serious about their mission engagement. In fact, Acts is full of these mission adventures that Paul and others went on. And this is what I want to focus on today. Because we, our mission team, I feel a burden today and a responsibility today. And a conviction that we have to be partnering with these who are members of our church they belong to us, and we belong to them. And I have a conviction that we need to do more to connect our hearts and to connect our lives with them, to partner with them, because it's not good for them to feel forgotten or abandoned or wondering if we still think about them or pray for them. So that's the reason we are taking trips this fall to Poland and North Africa and to Belgium, because when you and I center our lives on Jesus, inevitably, inevitably, your life will be drawn somehow to be connected to the great global gospel. Many of us will be going over time. Many of us will be praying over time. Many of us will be giving to support the work over time. Acts records the second mission journey that the early church went on. And they started because the first journey, Paul and Barnabas and uh, others went, and they went around to these various cities, and they were going into places that were unfamiliar and uh, places where they didn't know people, and they were beginning to develop relationships, and uh, they would uh, sometimes meet the physical needs. They would work their way through, and then they would share this great message that they embodied and communicated with their mouth, and it was their work. 
And the second journey was to go back, beginning to visit those churches and to bring strength to them and to help teach and train the leaders in those places and to say, we are, we are here to support you. You've not been forgotten and here we come and we're going to do our best to, to bring strength and to cheer you on and to work with you. And when we come to chapter 16 and verse 5, I want to read a few verses with you. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. These are regions in the old Roman Empire. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you know, this is where the Bible records the beginning of the great Western migration of the gospel, the Western thrust of the gospel. This would lead them to the first uh, time when the gospel was shared on the European continent. And ever since that time, it's been moving west. And now our brothers and sisters in Asia, especially in places like China and South Korea, I, I was blown away a few years ago when I heard that South Korea was sending missionaries to the U.S. I said, what? We're supposed to be sending missionaries. What do you mean you're sending missionaries to us? And then I got down off my high horse and realized we also need mission people right here in this country as well. It's a global gospel, but the work is not done. There are still millions, billions of people who have not yet heard the gospel message. So here's what we learn from this passage in Acts. Number one is about vision, is about being able to see and understand what God is calling us to do, to make priority for you and me and us as a church what is a priority to God. Because it's really easy for us to get those things backwards, and it's easy for me to put what's important to me up front, and it's not always what is most important to God. And so we are called to do our best to understand the vision of God. You see, while these, this team was going out in, in Acts chapter 16 to support the churches and the work of where God's word had been planted, God gave them a fresh vision. Part of the reason we're calling these three trips this fall are vision trips is so while we go back to support and encourage them, we are going to be in prayer that God would give us a fresh sense of vision for how we need to be connected as a church in the global gospel. Does that make sense? This is why we are engaged in vision trips. And you'll notice for that team then, there were certain doors that God closed very clearly. And they said, no, we're not going to do this. But there were other doors that God opened, and they said, yes, we're going to do this. And there are times when a church has to say no to certain good things so that we can turn and say yes to the better thing that God is opening, the timely thing that God is doing, to get a fresh vision for what God wants us to be doing in Poland, what God wants us to be doing among the North African immigrants in Brussels, and what God wants us to be partnering with our partners there in North Africa and to see how water wells are being dug and how the people in Egypt and Ethiopia and other places are being touched with the gospel. 
So a vision, a fresh vision is so important. Because as I told the deacons yesterday, I'm really concerned for our church because I feel like missionally, in a global sense, we're spinning our wheels and we're not getting any traction. And I realize it's something the Lord has to do. It's not a persuasive speech that you need. It's hearing again and asking the Lord again what He would do in a fresh season for us in missions engagement, for you and for me, for us. So a vision is really important. And then knowing that the cities where they went, they were places on a map for sure. But when we think about places, it's not just putting a pen on a map and saying we've gone to that place. Because places always represent people. Places always contain people. And it's not the city or the country that we're trying to engage with. It's the people who live there. It's so that they can be engaged and introduced and encouraged in their walking with the Lord in faithful integrity. You see, uh, I remember when I was serving uh, as a missionary, I uh, got uh, to know a a woman named Crystal. And we'd go out for coffee. And as we got to know each other, she, she asked me one day, she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, my main job here is coaching American football. And she said, well, what else are you doing? I said, well, you know, I'm a student. And she said, what else? I said, well, I'm helping plant a church. She says, really? What does that mean? I said, well, I'm a missionary. She said, what? What do you mean you're a missionary? Why are you in France? I said, what do you mean? She said, don't missionaries go to Africa or places like that where you can go and serve the poor? We're not a poor country. You see, her idea of a missionary was somebody who went only to meet perhaps health needs of a people or uh, to solve a problem with a government perhaps or something like that. But that's not my idea of the gospel. My idea of the gospel is to to go wherever God has opened doors and to say, you are in need of the love of God. And what you, at your very heart, fundamental level, you want most, God has offered it to you in Jesus. And I want to share with you what God has done so that you might know how to be in a personal relationship with him. When Paul and his team came to the city of Philippi, they'd gotten this this vision to come to Macedonia and the first city they land in is Philippi and they meet this woman named Lydia. Lydia was a businesswoman. She was a trader in this, uh, this die of the day and uh, we assume quite influential and she came to faith. Uh, Paul and his team, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail because of some things going on. Not illegal things, but it didn't make some people happy. And while they're in jail, the, the jail um, uh, administrator, supervisor, whatever you want to the jailer, uh, came to faith. They, they come to the city of Corinth, and, and that's where they meet Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, people that are, are mentioned again in, in the book of Corinthians, and uh, they become great uh, leaders there. They move on to places like Athens and the city of Berea and Thessalonica, but these places are not just pins on a map, because places always represent people. And when we talk about North Africa, we're not talking about a continent or a region of a continent, or a country, or a city. We're talking about the people who live there who are dearly loved by God. And the same goes with Belgium or with Poland, where our people, our partners are there building relationships, understanding the culture so that they can then um, share the gospel and invite these into the work. The third thing that we learn from this chapter in Acts all the way through chapter 20 and beyond is that everyone who is in Christ Everyone who is in Christ becomes an active participant in the gospel. See, there's no complacent Christianity. 
That's just not allowed. It's just not expected from God. So, complacency is not what God calls you and me to. Complacency is not what God calls this church or any other church to. God calls us to a conviction to live out the gospel and to a conviction that every person in Christ is an active participant. That people in these places became active participants. We've mentioned Lydia and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and Corinth and Philippi. There are others. You read in Acts chapter 20, and you'll see there were some people from Berea and some Thessalonians that joined the mission team and began to go with them on their mission adventure. Because people knew that when the gospel comes, it also comes with an active engagement to live out the implications of what God has called you to in, in your life, at your workplace. I was so encouraged uh, yesterday or just this weekend talking with Andrew, and he was reminding me of something that, that he's been doing at his workplace and connecting with Gilead House and uh, calling people, employees at his work, to fill back-to-school backpacks for the kids in Gilead House. Isn't that great? But taking the gospel and, and part of the responsibility of the gospel into our workplaces and, and not being afraid to invite people into the work of God and letting them see what God is doing through us. But people who came into Christ, like in Corinth, like in Philippi, or in Berea, or in Thessalonica, they, they became active participants. And that will, that's what you and I are called to be. So, so what? What does TBC most need? Here's what I think. Is that what TBC most needs is a renewed sense of Marin County both being a mission field and a mission sending platform. Marin County being a mission field and a mission sending platform. There's about a quarter of a million people who live in Marin County. And we've heard the statistics, three or five percent maybe are professing believers in Christ. It almost qualifies from a missiological perspective as an unreached people group, like anyone in North Africa, right here in Marin County. So I think there's more work that you and I and us need to be doing to engage the people around us with the hope of the gospel. But it also doesn't have to be a county that's 75% Christian before it becomes a mission-sending platform. The city of Antioch, where these first mission adventures took off from, it was not 90% Christian, but they, that didn't stop them. In fact, it motivated them even more. Was there work to still be done in Antioch? Well, of course there was. Did that mean they couldn't go around the world? Of course not. It's always both and. It's digging in right here at Marin as both a mission field and a mission sending platform. I was so blessed to learn that over the past eight years, it's not that we haven't been engaged, but we need a renewed engagement, especially globally, that over the past eight years, for global mission aspects, this church has raised and given over $260,000. Isn't that great? But I, I don't tell you that to pat ourselves on the back. I tell you that to encourage you, because you're, you prove yourself over and over to be a generous church. But I think God is calling and calling some new people out of our church to put their feet on the ground and to go and experience and smell these places because the places are not pins on a map. They're people. And God is wanting to stir our hearts. I can't do it for you. But what I'm going to be asking you when I'm done today is to, to pray and to really pray 
because I wonder if I were to ask how many of you over the last three weeks have really been actively praying about your participation in either any of these trips coming up this fall, I wonder how many hands would go up. So I want to ask you again this week to pray, to pray about your, your part in it. Because often we, we assume it's somebody else. I want you to take your finger, would you? And I want you to point at somebody else. I know, if I'm in your chair, I'm like, oh, I hate it when pastors do this. I get it, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I want you to point at somebody. I want you to say, missions is for you. Missions is for you. Missions is for you. Now, now, now take that finger and point it at yourself, and I want you to say, missions is for me. Missions is for me. It's for you and for me. It's something we do together. It's not for the professional. It doesn't have to be done by the seminary trained. It's not just a pastor's work or the super Christian's work. It's for you to be praying and asking the Lord as he's stirring your heart to engage. And I'll tell you what, I know all the reasons that we can't go. And, and they're, they're legitimate sometimes. There's no doubt. But sometimes we don't even, we don't even pray about it. Because we just assume the obstacles are too big or there's too many reasons why I can't go or not me or not right now without ever asking the Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? We say, well, gosh, it costs too much money. I don't have it. Do you not believe that the Lord, if he's really calling you to go, that he can provide the money for you to go? You might say, well, I've got kids at home. Do you not think that this church... Maybe family members would be willing to help. Maybe there's a way. Do you not think that God could help you find a solution for your children? You might say, I don't have any time. Who has time? If you have time to go on missions, raise your hand. <laughs> you know what? The people who will go, they don't have time either. But pray about it. Would you pray? Seriously pray. You might say, I'm not trained and I'm not prepared. Well, we're going to help train you. We're going to prepare you for it. You might say, well, it's not what I do. And I, I say to you, why not? And you say, well, Bryce, you don't understand. I do this and this and this. Great. But if you just discount missions and engagement in missions because it's not what you do, I just ask, why not? Have you asked yourself recently, why not? You might say, I'm a stay-at-home parent. Great. If God is stirring your heart, he will make a way. Come and encourage a stay-at-home parent on one of our mission teams. You might say, I have an important job that I can't leave. Really? For 10 days? That's all the trips are. Door-to-door, -door, 10 days. Are you that important to your job? You may be. Just ask yourself and ask the Lord. You might say, well, gosh, I'd have to use my vacation to go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you would. Maybe you have to reorient your thinking about how you use your time the coming year. Yeah, missions sometimes means a sacrifice or a rearrangement of what we thought was going to happen because that's just what God does. And you know what? When we allow God to, to come and interrupt us, that's often the times when we grow the most. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you are the most interrupted by God and the most disturbed in your normal things, that tends to be, I've heard it from a lot of voices and I've experienced it in my own life, but it's those moments 
that I tend to learn the most from God. It's not when I'm most comfortable. It's not when things are going easy. Because that leads to complacency, right? It's not complacency God has called us to. It's to a conviction. We have three missionary families that we have an obligation to support in Poland, in Kalanair and Heepsch, in North Africa, in Doug and Lita Nix, and in Belgium, Tanner and Audrey Smurl. People who are, they belong to us, and we belong to them. Would you open up in your bulletin on the back flap? We have our church covenant. We've got about four more weeks working through our church covenant. And you'll remember in the first uh, three sentences, it describes our coming to faith in Christ. And the rest of the covenant is this concept of what it means to be in an, an agreed relationship together and with the Lord. And we come down, let me see if I can find it. <laughs> okay, the next to last bullet. So work up from the bottom, the bullet number two from the bottom, where it says faithful stewards. Let's read that together. This is part of our church covenant. Read it with me. To be faithful stewards of our resources and abilities in sharing the gospel with people of all nations. A global gospel. A global gospel is what this church is intended to be and what I'm asking you to seriously be in prayer about. David just told me that the, um, he will be in room 23 right after this service. If you would like to go and learn more about the trips and uh, maybe to let it fuel and inform your prayer life this week, you can go right here in room 23. Right there, Mike. Hey, Mike Zal, can you point at room 23, Madeline? That's the room right there. That's it. That's the room. Thank you. Cheshe. Room 23, right after the service, and you can learn more about the trips. You've got a little insert in your bulletin with some very basic information, the dates. Uh, the trips, uh, I think, are going to be somewhere two to $3,000 each total. That's including airfare and everything. Don't, don't hold me to that. Things change, but um, there are a lot of reasons why you can't go. But if you haven't prayed about it, I'm asking you to pray about it this week. We're extending our deadline to next, next week. We've had about six people come last Sunday to learn, and only two people really sensing God's leading. But I'm just not convinced that we've all been praying about it. And that's okay. God's a God of grace. But let's pray about it this week and see how the Lord would lead and direct you. Not complacency, but conviction. Being convicted by the goodness of God and engaged in His work of the gospel around the globe. I think I'm done. Father, we thank you for the reminder today. We thank you, God, that you are God that, that didn't give up on us. And as we prepare to take this Lord's Supper together, God, we, we come as the benefit of missionaries. The gospel has come into each of our lives because it first went out from Jerusalem. Because people faithful to your global witness went out and carried the message. And it has come to our shores and into our families and into our lives because... Other people, at some point along the way, have gone out to share the word of the good word of the gospel. So we are beneficiaries of that, and we thank you. As we participate and share in this Lord's Supper together, remind us, God, that there are people today that aren't yet sharing in this meal, 
that aren't yet celebrating the Lord's Supper because the gospel has not yet come to their ears. It's not yet come embodied by real people imperfectly, but with full of conviction are living out the gospel. And I ask that you would stir our hearts as a church, not just to step back into a beautified sanctuary, but that you would re-engage our hearts, that Marin County can become both a mission field for us, it already is that, but we might also see it in our lifetime to become a mission-sending platform. So help us. You have to do that among us. We cannot engineer it. And so we this week want to pray and help us to listen. And let us, let us trust that as we follow you faithfully, that you will, you will take care of the consequences of our obedience. If we will just obey, there's no obstacle that's too great that can prevent or thwart what you want to do. Help us now, we ask Jesus. In your name, amen.